0: I'm DB, a.k.a. Danielle Bezalow, and I'll be your host for the next six episodes of this podcast and beyond. Sex. Birth
1: control.
2: Bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism.
0: Everyone
1: took the condoms, blew them up in the hallway. Conversations about STI and safer sex did not happen. My first time I saw a condom, I was 20 years old. Never do anything that doesn't feel
3: right to you, otherwise you're not consenting.
4: I don't need to know about a penis's anatomy.
1: I want to be someone who talks more about it openly to de-grossify it. So
4: there we were
0: starting a sex ed club. (laughs) Welcome to Sex Ed with DB, an intersectional feminist podcast for folks who want to hear real stories from five Bay Area voices as we try to revolutionize the way we talk about sex. This is episode one. Right after I graduated from UC Berkeley, I went to Rishon LeZion, Israel for one year to teach English. We took a field trip to a very religious community in Jerusalem called the Community of the Bells. One of the main rabbis gave us a tour of the synagogue there and told us about his family and his traditions. He told our group that he had five daughters and that when all of his daughters eventually turned 17 respectively, they would each be married by the matchmaker and hopefully get pregnant that night. That's literally what he said. "'That's the first night they learn about sex,' he said. "'I immediately thought to myself, "'I'm sorry, what?' "'As my hand shot up in a fury, "'the rabbi nodded in my direction. "'It felt like all eyes were on me. "'I proceeded to say, "'Don't you think it's wrong "'that your daughters don't learn about sex "'before they're expected to have it?' "'And thought to myself, "'What if they're not ready to be mothers? "'What about their consent?' "'He looked at me for what felt like an eternity "'and said, "'Well, this is how it goes.' Ever since that day, almost three years ago, I knew it was time for me to step up my game to empower young people and old in sex education. I knew this was going to be my path, and Sex Ed with DB is just the start. This podcast is going to be a little different than the other podcasts you've listened to instead of one guest that we focus on each episode you'll hear from all five of our voices every single episode if you can just um tell us a little bit about yourself what kinds of identities you have like racial sexual orientation if you're comfortable what you do and just how you identify who you are so
2: my name is ivy chen and i'm a sexuality health educator And what I usually do is I go and visit schools where I teach kids and teens puberty education, sexuality health education, and I am also a lecturer at San Francisco State University. So I've been teaching sex ed in the community for 21 years and have been lecturing at SF State for 15 years. And what that sometimes means is that the college students in my class will say very commonly, hey, you taught me when I was 10 in puberty class in the fifth grade, and it's always great to see them. Amazing, that's so great. It's so much fun. The age ranges are so varied. It really is. That's great.
0: Amazing. So we'll just dive in. Um, the first question we have is how have your various social identities played a role in how you view sex, sex ed, gender, and
2: sexuality? Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like that any person who's talking about sexuality, they're going to be talking about through their, talking about the subject through their own lens. And so absolutely my identity as a cisgender heterosexual, uh, Asian American woman, that's going to play a role in the way that I perceive this. But I feel like that um, what is good is that part of my training is to is to get me to realize just the diversity of my audience and to be able to talk about their lives and their options, uh, regardless of how I view things. And I do feel like that that awareness and that inclusivity is really important for any sex educator to keep in mind.
0: Totally. And can you define for our audience who maybe haven't heard these terms before sure. what does cisgender mean yeah
2: and so you know what the thing is that people most often have heard of the term transgender and that is when somebody of one biological sex identifies as the other gender such as somebody who is born with a set of testicles and penis and a scrotum but who identifies as a girl and what the problem is is that sometimes actually people don't realize that sex and gender are two different kinds of sexual identity they overlap them like the way you see on forms a lot of the time what is (laughs) your
0: gen what is your gender male or female M or
2: f just two boxes right just two choices
0: that's not correct nope yeah Yeah.
2: and so the thing is that uh whenever people hear transgender and then conversely they're like well what if somebody's Uh, biological sex and their gender identity aligns and so somebody with a penis and testicles who identifies as a boy and in most cases people just say that's quote normal right and it's actually that's not the term (laughs) okay and so even though people uh who are part of the majority or the dominant group they have an identity too and so for somebody whose sexual identity uh, biological sex as well as their gender identity aligns it's called cisgender
0: Any sort of details or stories that come up about types of sex education that you've either taught or, like you said, you experienced, whether that be in Catholic school or just like as you grew older, um, kind of any sort of opinions that you have about you talked a little bit about the effect of the instructor, um, the tone, mm-hmm. but can you talk a little bit about like abstinence-only uh,
2: education oh, and sure. like the shame that comes with that? Yeah, and so, I mean, I can start with that, but the good news is that in the state of California, starting in January 2016, there's a new law in place, and it's called the Healthy Youth Act, and it's good, right, because that title actually doesn't just talk about sexuality, and so what it means is that comprehensive sexuality health education is mandated in california now even though they are technically required to teach starting in seventh grade a lot of school districts have adopted that the spirit of it and have taken it down to the elementary school level mostly fifth grade in terms of teaching puberty class in that comprehensive way, now, and what does comprehensive I right, was just going to say now. Comprehensive is actually, I mean, it basically means it's complete, right? Right. And so it's, and it's not exactly the polar opposite of abstinence only because we do talk about abstinence as a choice, but it's not the only choice. And so right. what that means is that we talk about um, all kinds of choices, including different gender identities, different sexual orientations, uh, <laughs> acknowledging and recognizing they exist and to talk about them in a way that's inclusive. Now one of the tactics that I don't use and I don't think is effective that even people who teach comprehensive sex ed use is the scare tactic and so a lot of times even though uh, I'll talk to my college students and they'll say oh we had sex ed but I mainly remembered getting that nasty slideshow where it was totally. just the like STI symptoms. And, yes, and it was big disgusting. boils, and it was very scary, yeah, yeah. and just only the ugly parts. Right, exactly. And so it doesn't necessarily cause behavioral change. It doesn't necessarily cause people to stop having sex or immediately start using condoms. It just makes them feel bad about sex, and they're like, "Oh, that's just gross." Okay, and then they get into this little denial box, and like, "But that doesn't. That's not going to happen to me, right? I don't know." anybody with HIV uh, or that they are sure that they will be able to recognize it because they've seen pictures of it you know but the truth is that with STIs there are so many that can be asymptomatic as well as uh, having very mild symptoms that don't resemble what they see in the classes and so I mean so that doesn't work right and so uh, I would actually say that if we're able to teach sex ed in a way that is entertaining, that is fun actually, that makes it so that the students come out having a very positive experience because what we're talking about are things that are relevant to their lives that will help them to be able to make good personal decisions. And so, and you know, that also means that the choice of the educator too, as much as we can try to get a diversity of educators so that, so that the audience whom you're trying to reach feel like that they can identify with you. And the more that they can identify with you in terms of um, you know racial, ethnic identity, sexual orientation, uh, the more I think they feel what you're saying is credible and relevant to them. Totally. Now, and, it, and it makes a huge difference, right? The source of the info and yes. how they present it. I remember
0: over the phone, we recently spoke about how there are a lot of young Asian American students who don't necessarily always or ever possibly see an Asian American teacher in sex education. Mm -hmm. I mean,
2: there's just such a dearth of Asian American representation in the media overall and especially talking about sex. right? Right. So that I think for them to be able to see somebody who resembles them, being able to talk about this, this can actually be a real uh, aha moment for them where they're like, hey, well I can relate to her and if she can talk about it, maybe I can talk about it.
0: What would you say is the most challenging conversation or what's
2: difficult about speaking about maybe a topic in sex
0: education and why do you find that challenging?
2: Yeah, you know what? I tend to find that the kids and teens as an audience, they're pretty good. (laughs) You know what tends to be possibly difficult are parents. You know, it's because, first of all, they grew up in a different generation where it's not the age of the internet, and I think that sometimes it's hard to explain, you know, you might think they're too young to hear about this, or why do we have to explain so much? But they're much? just and the right age. They really are. They know more about sex than you think they do, and they're exposed to so much stuff, right? And so, uh, especially just with how easy and accessible internet porn is, and you know, sometimes the kids will tell me they're just surfing at these like pop-up windows. Like, the porn will find you, you know? And so, in that case, I think that a lot of parents don't realize how important it is to have these conversations early, and how much to cover. Mm. (laughs) Anyways, and and to realize actually how adaptable and flexible their kids are. And I actually think that if the parents start these conversations earlier with them, by the time I see them in fourth and fifth grade, I could always tell the kids whose parents have talked with them. And they're not only knowledgeable, but they're so much more comfortable. They participate a lot in class. Uh, But I think that sometimes trying to sell the idea that The kids need this and that they also need to continue these conversations at home uh, because that's the other piece, you know, that sometimes parents say, I'm so glad you're doing this. And I say, wait a second, come back here. You're not off the hook. We're a team and we need to do this together. I see them for a week. And you live with them. Right. And so therefore you need to take the real intense material that I'm presenting in a short period of time and to expand on that and then to add your own values to that as well. And so I feel like the more challenging part is not my main audience, which would be the kids, but actually the, um, secondary audience. Which Getting the buy-in the Yes, the exactly. But, you know, we always, almost always, actually host a parent meeting at the school before they have the sessions in the classroom because it is important to get the parents' support but also just to keep them in the loop. And it's, it's a really important topic. And also what I tell the parents is that this is a great opportunity for you to have these conversations at home. And uh, and I, I, I hope that they take me up on that, right? But, I mean, I would say that this... San Francisco Bay Area is just about the best place to do the work that I do. It is so supportive, and and many parents are just really on board with this. So, yeah, I I think that a lot of times they're just kind of scared that we're opening this big Pandora's box. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my name is Aaron. Um, I use they and she pronouns. I am queer. I am trans. I am 25. I work for an organization called the Family Violence Law Center, primarily doing dating and domestic violence prevention education with queer and trans high schoolers in Alameda County, mostly Oakland. And I'm a part-time grad student at SF State studying education, super interested in education surrounding healthy sexuality, and really excited to be doing this project with you.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for being here i um, super happy to have you on the team uh, making this podcast, and we are so excited to hear your story. So yeah, thank you so wait. much for being here. Um, we're going to dive right in um, to episode one, um, which is all about sex ed and how we talk about sex. Um, and I want to know, so you've worked with youth for how many years teaching sex ed?
1: Three.
0: And what age?
1: The first year was middle school. Um and specifically eighth graders, uh, and the past two years have been high school students across the full high school spectrum.
0: Great. And what kind of sex education maybe were they receiving, if any, before you came along?
1: That's really interesting. I spoke with a group of young people uh, when I was doing sex ed who all went to Oakland School for the Arts Um, which is an art school in downtown Oakland, and they said that they were not really receiving sex ed that was relevant to their experience. And in my head, I'm thinking, if you go to an art school in Oakland and you're not getting sex ed, then, like,
0: where Where is is it it coming from? Like,
1: who's who's getting it? Who's learning about it? So, yeah, I think... And there's there's full range of uh, experiences there. So that was some of my youth experience... I also have a really good friend who's a teacher and have worked with some of her kids in my after-school program. Um, and because she's a close friend of mine, we were working on her sex ed curriculum content together. So I did know that those young people who I was working with, who were also her students were receiving more comprehensive sex ed. Um, so again, yeah, full range of the spectrum there.
0: What do you think is like the easy? So, but just because you're used to it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean it's always easy. So like what right. are like, the challenging parts of those conversations in your experience, like does one experience kind of like, like, you know, go off in your brain where you're thinking like, wow, that was a really hard talk about sex that I just had with this one person.
1: I think the earlier on the conversations I've had about sex, the harder they were, um, just because practice is good. And I didn't have practice when I was first starting out, obviously. Um, I think the one of the hardest things has actually been having conversations with my parents around me having sex with people who don't have penises. Um, and them being like, wait a second, we spent all this time coming to terms with you being a gay man. And now you're telling us you're a trans person. And now you're telling us you have sex with people who don't have penises. So like, you know, they're, they're trying to wrap themselves around all this stuff while I'm like going full speed ahead with it. Um, I think, yeah, I think those conversations with family have been hard and not because I think there's any malintent there or think there's any, um, distrust or, uh, I think they love me a lot. I think that there's just like a generational gap in how we think and talk about sex. And I think that this generation, generally speaking, is a little bit more open than previous generations were. Um, yes
0: and no, though, right? Because like yeah. I feel like so often I like <laughs> I know it's so stupid, but like I have a hemorrhoid right now. Okay, I said it. You said I it. have it. It's painful. I want to talk about it with people, and like I feel like recently I tried to like bring it up, and people were like, "Oh, like Ew. I was like, shut, shut up! All yeah, right, you have yeah. a butthole. There are three million cases, according to the homepage of Google." that people get hemorrhoids That's every year. Cases. Three million is enough for yeah. people to be like, let's talk about that. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. so I feel, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like we can always like be doing better even as like young people. Striving yeah. To and talk I about think it. that
1: people, people don't want to talk about gross stuff and what people consider gross is very diverse. Um, and for some people talking about sex or body parts or genitals or STIs is gross, um, and I I want to be someone who talks more about it openly to de-grossify it.
0: de I love that word. So you said you were in seventh grade when you first, like, remember even getting any sort of sex ed. Um, were there any other moments in middle school or in early high school where you remember getting taught sex ed?
1: No. <laughs> And N-O. oh,
0: there weren't any
1: in ninth grade biology. We probably talked about what sex cells are and what reproduction, what happens when a male and a female mate and what reproduction <laughs> is. Um, but conversations about STI and safer sex did not happen.
0: Oh. And that's too common. That's commonplace. And my
1: high school was talking about race and racism, sex and sexism and uh class and classism and we weren't talking about sex ed
0: uh what are some common i i feel like we have had similar experiences i've taught sex ed in middle school as well and there are a lot of common misconceptions about sex ed most of them laughable some of them also not laughable because they actually believe the things that they're saying um so in your experience what are some like real misconceptions that you immediately want to be like no let's go over what what you're really saying
1: that sex isn't sex unless a penis goes into a vagina Mm. um and i think that has that that's a misconception that does a lot of bad specifically because people aren't thinking who have that mentality those people aren't thinking about how to have safer sex uh, when a penis isn't going into a vagina. Mm. Um, and so safer sex sort of goes out the window when what you think you're doing isn't sex. Um, wow,
0: I've never thought about that before.
1: Yeah, and I think that, and this is something that a young person has brought to my attention, and this is a like a more serious thing, but the way that this young person talked about receiving sex ed made it seem like if you're going to have sex, you will experience sexual harm. And so this intrinsically connecting sexual harm to sex made it for this young person to think that when they were having good, healthy, rewarding sex with someone, that it wasn't really sex because nothing bad happened. Um, and I think that there's a lot of good in terms of having conversations around how to reduce sexual harm and how to prevent sexual harm and the connection between sex and sexual harm but this like sex equals harm thing um i think is really dangerous and does a lot of bad for a lot of people who i think like might want to enjoy sex but might stay away from it because they're worried about what could happen to them in that space
0: Hmm.
4: My name is Pristine, with a P. Uh, I am a first-generation Filipino-Korean queer person of color. Uh, Pronouns she, her, they, them. I am, for the purposes of this episode and in life, uh, exist in non-monogamous relationships uh, that are really gay. (laughs) super gay yeah cool
0: um or (laughs) open-minded as that one person told you in vegas how do you feel about talking about sex with friends and maybe with family and like what's the distinction between your
4: comfort level or is it roughly the same friends talk about it all day no worries love it love talking about like my experience or relationships or sex or whatever don't talk about it with family besides my like brother Or maybe, like, younger cousins, but not, like, parents at all. I only recently came out to my parents this past uh, New Year's. So that's, like, a whole... Yeah.
0: Do you mind, like, expanding on that a little? Like, what
4: that experience was like? Um... Or not. I... It was, like, a New Year's resolution. I feel feel a little bit disconnected from it right now. But uh, it was a New Year's resolution. I, like when I was 16 was in my head was like, like, it's fine. Like I'll end up with a dude. Like I'll never tell him. Like it'll be fine. Like it's cool. Like whatever. Like sexuality is fluid. Like I'll end up with a boy. Like nobody needs to know. Um, to like, I, I think the safety, there was like, like a safety level that I did such a thorough job, like compartmentalizing my lives, like with family and church and friends and partners and whatever like my I was I I, I was like a fucking ninja like I was really really good at it like scarily good at it which probably didn't do very good things to my psyche and I'm like I'm healing a lot of those things now um and so there's a lot of connections between like there's a lot of things around family that I recently have been exploring with therapy um gotta love therapy that um just like something that I've been exploring a lot and realizing a lot is that like, and I, as I feel like a lot of queer folks do is like realizing in recent years, like, like who I've allowed to and created to be as my family. And so like when I went to, when I went to college, I like, sl- like slowly and then very quickly stopped going home so much because it was just so damn uncomfortable. Like, like, policing how I looked or what I wore or where my haircut was or, like, what piercings I had or whether my phone was on iMessage versus revealing what the text said so that they couldn't see if somebody was texting me to, like, any social media post ever. Yeah, so, like, there's... I've cre- I very much created a family who like know me very deeply and intimately that I f- like that I yearn for and long for and have found community with. And then there's my blood family who have also taken very good care of me, but who in many ways don't know me at all because of myself and because of and because of things that they've done. But it I think the as I got older and. Um, little bit of backstory my brother is a recovering heroin addict and he's been in and out of rehabs and in and out of being lost and in and out of like no nobody knowing where he was for a while and that brought our family really a lot closer together in um just like communicating beyond logistical like parent kid relationship things and I think as that brought us close together I think they're like the pain of my parents not my family not knowing me or uh like us not actually, like, having any sort of, like, real connection, I think, outgrew the fear of lack of safety as I grew more independent. And so, it, I wrote out this really long letter, sob, cried, told it to them the day after Christmas, which was, like, the day before I was gonna leave. Um, And it's definitely been a bit of a process, but I just came back from LA this most recent time, and for the first time, like, had, like, went to, like, lunch with my dad. It, like, felt like didn't have so many of my guards up and like I think they're in their own process in coming to terms with things and I'm in my own process of like letting them um
0: yeah amazing that was
4: a lot of really good stuff thank you for sharing
0: what would the best possible sex ed look like to you in classrooms
4: um probably Led by one of my friends, uh, or many of my friends, and I think it would probably be a student-led syllabus um, around, like, this is sex ed, let's, okay, everybody giggle, Uh, okay, great, Um, like, what do y'all want to talk about, right, around, like, uh, and, you know, having our own resources around curriculum, but if people have, like, genuine questions about things that they have no idea about, right, about, like, I don't know, things that students have, like maybe creating some sort of structure around it, but having allowing it to be student-led around. And also I think maybe like doing some sort of like anonymous survey or like some sort of thing to actually figure out like what types of sex people are having, like what they think about contraception, what they think about like what safe sex means, what they think about consent, like having some sort of like idea or like straw poll of what's going on now and like having a lot of like just actually talking about real shit that was super specific
0: that's great that's what i was looking for i think the last question i have on this topic for you is what's your favorite slang term for any body parts that you or someone else has slang hmm. like tatas is an example of a slang term for
4: boobies which oh is God, another really? slang term for breasts uh which is another slang term for titties titties uh, uh <laughs> I I've I often call people with penises penis wielders. <laughs> What the fuck does that mean? Somebody who wields a penis.
0: Sure. But what, where? where's the just, origin like, of that? Just like I
4: don't necessarily want to like assume somebody's gender identity and yet if someone is going to like be a penis wielder or like, we, and also it's like a sword, right? It's like mm. like there's like a, like, an, like an agency in like wielding something. It's like this is, hello, I'm here, you know? Right. Like if I'm talking about something, if I'm frustrated about something because I don't want to just say like men because like men without penises or women with penises, right. but like penis wielders right because it's like something you have to take responsibility for you know totally and it's like dangerous and shit sometimes you know doesn't have to be
0: but. but it could be
5: Okay, well, my name is Ingrid Ochoa. My job title is Clinical Faculty Undergraduate Program Coordinator. I know it's a mouthful. It's a lot. But I work at SF State, and I pretty much work with the health ed department. So I do a lot of student management tracking. But prior to this position, I actually was a health sexual health educator for uh, um, on campus since 2006. And then prior to that, I've been doing sexual health education uh, for almost like maybe 20 years of my life. So, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and then my, oh, and my identities. <laughs> so, I identify being 100% Colombiana, hecha y derecha, 100%. Uh, so, I, um, so Latina, and also fluid. So, I, um. Uh, I, I'm really, that's kind of, and also sometimes I'll, I'd say maybe in the BDSM community or kinky, maybe more kinky community, because uh, it all really depends on how I feel and how I am that day. And it kind of changes throughout my life. (laughs) So how, so
0: clearly you are very comfortable talking Mm -hmm. to students about all of these types of topics, sex ed, public health, integrating all of those different areas. How comfortable do you feel with your friends and with your so you said with your mom mm-hmm. it's been a journey and yeah. a struggle um where are you now
5: Actually it's pretty it's pretty good I I have to say I don't I hate to use this but I did break her I broke her but it was a good break in a good way in a good way okay. yeah because now we really have a great relationship and it now it just kind of turned where she asks me for questions and it's and at first I had to I had to really be like my mom started asking me about because I used to do workshops on on sex toys as well and big I have a big I'm a big advocate for sex positive and like pleasure and desire and so I did a whole like workshop series on sex toys and what's the right one for you and so anyway my mom I used to take her to my classes when I would teach and it would be amazing like how I is, I've seen her change because I kind of forced it down her throat for her to listen in a way because my mom would be like, I, I, I know maybe you got, I don't want to know. And I'm like, no, mom, because I'm going to tell you whether you like it or not. Listen I'm sorry, you going to hear it. And so, but then I would always hear her, her little face, even though like she's here knitting. She'd be like, kind of like peeking. like kind of, <laughs> And I'm like, Aha, I got you. You Just know, eye in the room. She was, you know, so she, and it was be cute because my students would be so hesitant because there's one type, you know, like my mom cracked me up because I was talking about I was talking about anal sex and talking about um anal anatomy and I was telling my students about the using the duck version like the how to how to do it properly right and my students were looking at my mom looking at me looking at my mom looking at me <laughs> and they were like and I didn't even think about it cuz I'm like all showing them and they were just I saw after I stopped and I looked up I saw all my students and they were just like you know, and then my mom. I go, mom. I think they're like kind of. They don't. They're in shock. And my mom's like, "I've heard it all in her little accent." And Ugh. it was just so cute because I was like, "Mom, I love you." Aww. So it just um, and it really helped like how she viewed. It made her be more open minded and more accepting of me because a lot of the times, um, it was what was hard was um, she um, you know, I'm divorced. Thank God. Oh, I'm sorry, it's just like thank God. It. it was a struggle, it was a two year struggle. Totally. Anyway, um but like when I was in a relationship and I got married, my my the first thing my mom said was like, Oh, see, it was just a phase. And oh, no. that was like a knife in my heart totally. because for me I was like, Mom, I, I didn't I didn't marry him because he was a man. I married him because he was the person, how he made me feel. And it just so happened that he was a man. But that's that's not how I viewed him. But my mom didn't really couldn't really grasp that and so uh it, she just got to the point like finally she was like I get it now I you know and just to hear that was just very reaffirming groundbreaking it was because then it just made us being closer and then it made her also appreciate my cousin who 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 does identify as being gay and my um and so then my mom was more like oh I get that now like her relationship with her um you know her partner and and then my mom asking me questions and and I go ask away you know and and so seeing that just um just made us get closer because it just made me feel like okay she really is trying so so it's good. So now, she's, right. now she does, now she says partner. She yeah. Like, Gender neutral terms. Yes, exactly. She's like, are you who are you seeing? Anyone that you're interested? Like, no, no matter what. And it's right. just, it's, it's cute. She's on board. She's on board. So right. it's like, I go, thank you, mom. You deserve like a fucking gold star. So, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What is
0: one thing that you wish you learned as a kid looking back now at who you are? And clearly, you know, you're, I wish the viewers could, or viewers, doe the listeners. listeners, they can't, see, can't anything. see anything. <laughs> uh, you can't see anything. Um, you're just you come off so confidently, and like who you are, and who you, you know, who you want to, you know, portray yourself as just this confident, like beautiful person.
5: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: Um. And I want to know what would you tell your your 15 year old self? What where would you go with that mm. advice?
5: The and that's a good question because the I wish I had more about learning to love myself earlier on. Um that was the I still struggle with that. Uh I, I every day I wake up in the morning and I have my my on my on my bathroom mirror I have affirmations and I do it weekly and I change it up because you know it, that's the one thing i wish i learned earlier on i wish i had that conversation and that dialogue where it's like uh to love myself and to be proud of myself to love the body that i'm in you know talking about body image is so you know we don't talk about it as often now more, i hear it more you know but back when I was in school, you didn't. And so, and it was always like I always felt like men were encouraged to to um, work hard. Men were encouraged to like, oh, it's not an issue. And women, I always felt like they couldn't do it. they they weren't as good enough. And always that's the thing. it's you're not good enough. And I always kept hearing that in a little broken record in my head that I wish I had more people in my life when I was younger to just say, you are good enough, and, and like you're you better, better than better, enough. Yes, and that not to put yourself down, to appreciate what you have, and you know, Latin families are. You know, this is where some of the like, you know, uh, you know, uh, some of the things that I grew up with is that you ha- you're you're so beautiful, but you know, if you were just to lose more weight, you would be so much beautiful, you'd be attractive, you'd get more men. And not really where I was always like, for me, it was about like, I go, okay, you know what, I'm getting I'm a 4.3 in high school, I'm taking AP classes. No, that doesn't matter. It's because I have a pretty face, but then I'm big. So those are things that I wish I had someone to say, no, you're good enough, you know, and, and more about like, Being positive. So, more of like talking, having somebody to talk about like body image and how that, how media is portrayed, how that, you know, being sexualized and how all those issues really hurt um, how women feel when they're growing up or girls growing up and what is, you know, having that negative, like broken record in your head all throughout growing up. So, I think that's what I would change. And that's why I'm really making effort with my students, even though I know they're in college, but. When I did a lot of education with freshmen and in the housing department, I really made the effort of talking about body image and um, empowering oneself, and even men. Not just it's more of I kind of wanted to dress to people because I do have an issue about I love inclusivity and I have a thing. I I like to be gender neutral and I like when I was doing sexuality, I really have a thing like I don't like to say female anatomy or male anatomy. I don't use those words at all and I really make the effort and emphasize that so then people are aware that it's like it's we're not in the binary. We have to change the language of what we're so accustomed to to using. So I'm not religious,
0: but amen sister.
5: (laughs) Thank you. Um, that, that'll just about do it
0: for episode one. Do you that's have anything good. extra you want to add um, mm-hmm. about, the like, the topic is sex education and how we talk about sex? I think we got a lot of really good stuff from you. Um, but mm-hmm. if there's
5: anything you want to add? I think just, like, I think people who teach it in high school, not to be afraid of it, uh, you know, and I think that's also uh, – It's all about getting education. You know, I know that there's a lot of programs out there. There's like Teen Talk. Uh, It's with, I know it's in, um, I think it's what it used to be called. I don't know what it is called now, but they too teach teachers to do comprehensive education. And that's what's important. Like if you don't feel like you have the education, go and do it. Because I think what I see a lot is like the communication is what's so necessary. And people and students see that. You know, kids see that. If they ask you a question, then you're like, eh and you kind of shy away from it, then they, you've lost them because then they know they can't talk to you. And But sometimes it's like the flip side is like, it's because sometimes it's like they don't feel comfortable because they don't know the information or they don't know how to how to say it right. So it's like, you know, it's more of also talking to the educators. If you don't feel comfortable in something, be upfront and honest. Say, you know what? I don't know that, but I'm going to find look out. It up. I'll look it up. Or like, I know someone to refer you to. You know, I'm not comfortable to ask, talk about this, but you know what? I know somebody who does, you know? So I'd say that. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Okay, I identify myself first, I guess, as a physician. This is Rebecca Levy, my mother and an OBGYN, a mother of three who runs her own private practice in Napa with over 2,000 patients. I'm an OBGYN physician. I work by myself in, in a private practice right now for the last couple of
3: years. Um, that's only part of my identity. My The major part of my identity is a mom, and I have three kids that I gave birth to, including you, (laughs) Uh, two stepkids that I was around to raise part of the time as well. Um, I'm married to my lovely second husband, (laughs) so I identify myself as a white, heterosexual female, and really interested in the healthcare of women here and globally as well. I'm,
0: I'm really interested in all of that. Can you talk about what age you remember getting sex ed, if at all? I feel like I heard a lot of stories growing up about grandma just kind of like bullshitting or like not even talking about it, not even really wanting hugs or like any sort of physical touch. Like what, when was like the first time you remember talking about sex or hearing about it?
3: I don't remember any conversation with any family member ever being with the intent to educate me about sex. Uh, There was probably one um, pervasive feeling in the family growing up, which was sex is something that you don't do until you're married. There was no information about it other than a pamphlet that I got maybe when I was about 13 or so after I had already gotten my first period and had no idea what was happening I remember the day very well. It was traumatic. (laughs) Um, But no information at home at all. The only sex information that I think I ever got officially was something in school, which was probably in the sixth grade. I remember a time where they separated the class, where the boys went into one room and the girls went into another. We talked about some secret stuff about periods, and I don't know what the boys talked about. But, um, you know, it was very confusing. And the next bit of information I remember getting was from my next-door neighbor who told me that periods were something that you got right before you got pregnant. Phyllis? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I really had no idea what I was talking about ever. And um, I think that what happened when I went to high school and actually took a health class, I was one of those kids that like took out a little notebook and was like, I got to write this down because this is really good information. I need this. Yes, I had no idea. So it really that's it about education really nothing and i think i i feel like i i picked it all up on my own for good and for bad do you remember when i got my first period like the day that i got my first period i don't remember the date officially but i remember the surrounding circumstances Yes. do you
0: remember where we were No. We were in some hotel. Oh, Oh, yes, I do remember. And I was like, Mom, I got my period. (laughs) And you were like, That's cool. That's good. (laughs) I was like, No, it's not. (laughs) And secretly, I was like, That's kind of cool. But I was like, (laughs) hating it also
3: um i do remember that you and your friends all had a little conversation about it like who was getting their periods and who could use a tampon and who oh really yeah and who like had breast and who had a bra and you know that kind Mm. of thing so i do remember that those kinds of things and i know i do remember us having actual conversation about it not just like here's the information dan you know
0: yeah Mm -hmm. and i remember like shaving and you were like don't shave it's going to grow back thicker and I was like she doesn't know anything I'm going to do it and then I did it and I was like fuck this is really growing back at a fast pace and I'm going to have to do this forever if I'm going to keep this up Mm um okay so what experiences have you had based on your identities um or not that have led you to be passionate about sex education and women's health and becoming a doctor
3: Wow. Okay. Those are a little bit separate topics.
0: Um, becoming a
3: doctor is a really long story. That is on my blog. You can read if you want to. Um, but Plug. Ba- Yes. But basically, becoming a doctor in general was probably something I was always geared to, but even I didn't know about it. So when I was growing up, my father, your grandpa who you never met, um, always wanted me to be a doctor. I was really, really busy telling him that I didn't want to be a doctor. So I would look for other things to be that were kind of like being a doctor, but not really a doctor. So I actually went to school and became a physical therapist and worked for several years. And then when I was being, was, was working as a physical therapist, I kind of backtracked and thought I might've made a mistake that I, I really did always want to be, be a physician. So I tried and I I studied and I went back to school, went to medical school, and it was in medical school that, um, you know, in your third year of medical school, they make you go through all these different rotations where you have to do pediatrics and geriatrics and internal medicine. And I did my rotation in women's health, obstetrics and gynecology, and it, it sounds really trite, but... The first time that I was able to deliver a baby, which they do let medical students do in very busy hospitals where they don't care what you do as long as you do the paperwork, um, I felt like I had that, that aha moment. And I said, this is really what I have to do. So that was my goal from then on. And of course, you know, studying in women's health and and doing your residency and working in women's health, I just got Very, very passionate about it, feeling like as I'm taking care of women, I really see that it's so important because women are really the ones who run families and raise the kids and influence the next generation and taking care of them and letting them know about their health and making sure they know um, how to keep themselves healthy became a really big, uh, uh, not just an interest, but a real passion of mine. So that's what I've been doing
0: for the last 20 years. (laughs) And that's what I want to do, too, and hopefully will. Okay, cool. How do you feel about talking about sex with, like, friends and family and, like, past partners? Like, was that always something you were comfortable with? Like, how long did it take you to become comfortable with it? Or are you not really comfortable with it?
3: medically speaking I want people to have the right information so that's I've, I've made it my business to be comfortable with that and I am I mean you should probably know that because we've probably spoken about every
0: you know out there yeah yeah some like the day after like the morning I lost my virginity I was like I lost my virginity and we like had a whole conversation about that
3: well, you know, as a mother, you do go through a little, a couple of different things with that, where you, on one hand, the real me says to myself, like, if this were not my daughter, and somebody came to me with this conversation, what would my reaction be? How to be safe? What? Do, how are you feeling emotionally about it? That kind of thing. But if it's my daughter, and I'm not thinking about any of those other things, of course, the first thing that pops into your mind is, no, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't do that. You know, because the mother thing takes over the women's health thing but then of course once you realize that if you react that way your kids will never tell you anything again you push that out of the way and you give the information and you
0: react. well it's really interesting like that you say it like that because you know growing up there definitely were times where i was like oh like i feel like you know you're like kind of like instilling this fear in me like about certain things but like as a mom i'm sure like that had to come into play. Like you just said, like, there's no way for you to only think like a doctor, only think like a mom, because you're both of those people. And I have to
3: say, one of the things for me is that ever since I've been a physician, I've always, for some reason, taken care of friends and family. So it's almost as if I've always had this thing where as soon as I take care of someone in a medical way, like my best friend comes in I don't look at her in that examining room like my best friend. I look at her in the clinical way that I would look at a patient because otherwise you lose sight of how to take care of somebody. So for you, Bias. it would be the same thing. Like if you came to me worried about something, worried about something that happened or some an illness or something like that, yeah, my first thing is, oh my God, you're my daughter and I want to take care of you. But once you're asking me for that <laughs> clinical advice, I look at you as like, what is the correct information? And I know that you you know that I do that, that. What is the correct information that I need to give you? What are the risks and benefits? What are the warnings I need to give yeah. you? Yeah, and,
0: and, and I'm just like, like, mom, be on my side. And you're <laughs> like, it doesn't have to really do with sides, but okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sex Ed with DB. If you want to engage with more of our sex ed content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check us out on our website, sexedwithdb.tumblr.com. We would love to hear from you. Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com for questions, comments, and suggestions for our episodes to come. What are some funny sex ed experiences you've had in the classroom? Email them to us and we can shout them out in season two. Our creator, host, and producer is Danielle Bezalow, a.k.a. DB. Our content writers and editors are Danielle Bezalow, Aaron Steinfeld, and Rachel Upton. Our graphic illustrator is Jessica Lynn. Our social media and marketing lead is Kat Lestufka. Our sound editor for this episode is Claudia Niles. The title of our intro music is So Low by Art of Escapism. And our outro music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you to our featured voices
2: and our listeners. Tune in next time.